How many of you want to hear me speak or how many just want to have the band keep playing? The band keep playing? Thank you guys. You guys are awesome. And it's so good to have you here this morning. We've got a little bit of a special treat coming up for you in a little bit, but I just wanted to uh, lay a little bit of a foundation before um, we do some bits and pieces this morning. And uh, really, I, I just want to speak to you about living a life on purpose, like you can live life or you can live life on purpose, yeah? Come on. A life lived with purpose is always better than a life without purpose. And there's a scripture in Ephesians 2.10, which is uh, one of the great scriptures I think that we should memorize and keep in our hearts. And it says this, it says, for we are his, that is God's workmanship. In other words, he made us, he formed us, he created us, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. In other words, before you were a twinkle in your daddy's eye, God had planned out every single day of your life. He had planned out what gifts and what abilities that you would have, what skills you would have. He worked out that I would be DIY challenged, but other people would be DIY experts. Um, and so God worked all that out with in mind some great works or some great things that God has planned for us to do. And so when I think that God has designed my life and designed me in such a way that there are things that he has asked me to do, it then kind of speaks to me that for you and for I, that God has gifted us and designed us to bring our unique peace, yeah? the thing that makes us, the thing that we're good at, to build his kingdom that all the pieces come together, we create, the puzzle becomes full of what it is that God wants us to do. Are you with me? How many people are pleased that I don't play and sing on a Sunday morning? Yeah, because that's not my piece of the puzzle, thank the Lord. That's somebody else's piece of the puzzle, and we all have pieces of the puzzle that makes the puzzle whole. But on top of that, this scripture speaks to me that it's actually our responsibility it's yours and it's my responsibility to uncover what it is that God has purposed us to do with the gifts that God has given us and to make sure that we serve and contribute to the building of the kingdom because of what God has gifted us to do. You see, God has wired each of us uniquely. There's a couple of factors that have uniquely wired you, yes? First one being the family you were raised in. Are you with me this morning? The home we're brought up in will influence how we see and respond to the world around us. Yeah, our training, whether it be schooling or vocational training, the mentors that we've had that's influenced our lives, how we see the world, and of course, our experiences also add to our development and our personality and our life experiences significantly shape us. And so the home we were raised in, the way that we see the world is very much uh, molded by how uh, we have lived our lives, the things that we've gone through. Our family can can shape us in all different ways. And some of us have, uh, I mean, I had the pleasure of growing up in a great family and being shaped really, really well by uh, God-fearing parents and pastors of the church and all that. Some of you have come from backgrounds that don't have that. But here's the thing, that your your upbringing or your experience in life is not dismissed. It's not you go, I had a friend of mine who had some really interesting uh, upbringing. He was brought up in a cult. 
And he had this whole thing when he was older. He was brought up in a cult till he was about 14, 15 years of age until his dad escaped with the family out of the cult. And so he had this thought process that everything that happened in his world prior to being 15 years of age should just be written off. It's not something worth remembering. It's not something worth holding on to. Uh, psychologists would call this disassociation. We disassociate ourselves from that because that, to us, is not something that we want to be part of. And so we wrote it off. And, and it wasn't until later on in life that he realized that even though he grew up in a cult and it became bad after they left, the thing is, is what they did teach him was the Word of God. He could memorize Scripture left, right, and center. He could quote Scripture like you wouldn't believe. There were good parts to the element of his upbringing, which helps us to understand when Romans says this, that God works all things together for good according to his purposes for those who love him. And so I don't want you to ever dismiss your past or your upbringing or your experiences and go, hey, that was a bad thing. Let's just forget about that and hide it away in the corner. You know what I'm talking about? Because God works all things to give for good. In other words, God takes your life experiences. They're not random in his kingdom. He has a plan and God is working out his plan through those things for his benefit. And so we have to understand that what God does is he takes our natural experiences, our natural abilities, he couples them with spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit and he gives us a passion in our hearts and gives us tasks to fulfill and work to do to build his kingdom. Why? Because God has completely and totally shaped us for service. And there's somebody here this morning that I'm going to introduce you to who is living this out. Can I just get someone to get those two chairs and bring them up on the stage? As someone who has, is part of our family. I was going to say has been part of our family, but is part of our family. He is part of our family through and through. He is CFC through and through. It bleeds in his bloodstream. And I, I'm going to invite him to come right now. Sanjeet, why don't you come? And I'm going to have a little conversation about what it looks like to live a life of purpose. I'm going to introduce you to him and we're going to just, we're just having coffee up here. I should have got coffees. Ah, next time. Here, bro. So for you, you, or those of you who don't know Sanji, Sanji and Sarah Durham and their sons, Joshua, Samuel, and Jackson, um, we're, are still very much a part of our church. Um, their problem is, is that they currently um, live just outside of Durban in South Africa, so it makes it a little bit difficult for them to attend church on a Sunday. It's a bit of a slack commitment, but we're, we're dealing with it. Um, but they left us, what, two, two and a half years ago? To go to South Africa to work in a, a place called Live Village. So I'm going to let him. So he's from us, yes? He's family. Come on. And if you don't know him, then you need to get to know him. He told me this week, he said, there's so many new people in the church, I don't think I know anybody anymore. So, so you need to get to know him. But why don't you tell us a little bit about what you and Sarah are doing at Live, what Live Village is and what you and Sarah are doing at Live Village. Uh, so Live Village is an orphanage um, over in Durban and uh, the founders of it were Joan and Titch and uh, they had a vision that uh, they just didn't want to create an orphanage that looked after children, but they wanted to be a part of um, transforming people's lives inside the orphanage. So um, 
Sarah and I, um, we did our training uh, as missionaries probably about five years ago, I think now. And um, uh, we did our outreach out in South Africa and we met Joan and Titch and um, fell in love with the place and didn't know how it was going to happen, and but um, felt that God was saying, you know, you need to come back here. So um, when we came back from our training, we talked to Craig and um, the church got behind the decision for us to... Uh, head over to South Africa. So that's how we ended up there. Um, Sarah's in charge of um, like our high-end donors um, and uh, the marketing, and I look after the facility. So I'm in charge of um, just day-to-day running of the facility. So how many how many kids are in the orphanage? Um, so in the orphanage, uh, I think we've got about 197 kids at the moment. Uh, we have children that come from the community uh, to our ECD, which is like a kindergarten, through the day. And um, uh, the mums that look after the children are allowed to bring two of their own children. So um, it's a mixture of uh, kids that are in the orphanage at any given time. And so those kids that are in the orphanage have all come from traumatic backgrounds of different kinds. You want to tell people like what some of them? Uh, are? Yeah, so obviously um, some of them are at proper orphans where they've lost their mum and dad, and um, have been picked up and brought to the village. Then there's um, kids that have been through sacrifices where you know culturally um, things like that happen in there, and a lot of abuse, and um, some of them have been prostituted out and things like that. Yeah, when we were there, um, there was a little girl there that had been bloodletted on a regular basis as part of, part of a spiritual ritual that has ended up in the orphanage. And so um, what else, apart from the orphanage, what else is the, on the facility? Now, we know there's a kindergarten, but there's a few other things there too. So some of the cool things that are happening on the village at the moment is uh, we've started up a welding school, um, and it's designed to um, not just for the kids but help the community. And uh, so that course has been going really well. And... Uh, Two of, the, two of the people that are in that course are in the top five apprentices in South Africa. So um, the course has been doing very well there. Um, we have a running club. Um, so uh, one of the girls of so our area has never been recognised in sport in any, any form or the way of, of the history of that area. Um, so the first colours we ever given to this girl to represent um, the Durban area or KNZ. So that's pretty exciting as well. That's awesome. And they've also got a school there, yeah? Uh, yeah, school as well. Medical so, clinic? Yeah, medical clinic. So the uh, medical clinic, one of the cool things about that is um, one of my jobs is to help sign off the buildings with the municipality or council. And um, just before I left, I was able to get the community um, clinic properly signed off. So at the moment, the clinic can only help in certain areas. Um, but now it's a full clinic, so... That clinic will service 25,000 people and um, all the different programs from HIV to TB and that will be able to be run out of that um, community now, so out of that clinic. So that's a pretty cool thing for the village to be able to um, serve the community in that way. It's awesome, eh? Yeah. And then there's also a, a catering school as well. Eh? Oh, yeah, the catering school. <laughs> so the catering school, we're getting um, trying to teach people to... Um, create their own businesses. Uh, South Africa, a lot of people unemployed. Um, everybody's looking for jobs. Um, so 
The idea of this course is that they can um, probably do street fingering and um, you know learn to make pancakes and or, you know doughboy things or whatever they make in there. You know. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know much about that one, but I just know that that's what it's about. I know. I just had some donut thing with <laughs> mints inside it when I was here. I have no idea what that was. Um, and so, how many how many total buildings would you say are there that you you personally oversee? Oh, total buildings. Um, I think there's 96 houses um, and probably 12 major buildings. Um, and uh, so there's plans to build. A, um, so Titch is a big visionary. <laughs> like he's, you know, but anyway, he um, he wants to build a, a sports of a, uh, an institute of sport. So there's land, and we're in the processes of starting to sort that out, um, map it out, and just work out how that's going to happen. So um, it's pretty exciting, yeah. But there's, so there's Live Village where you are in Durban, but oh. there are other Live Villages oh, as yes. well, isn't there? Yeah, so um, Live Village in the last two years since we've been there has grown. So Cape Town's just about to launch and we've had a little bit to do with their prelim reports to be able to get that village running. Um, and also we've taken over... Um, uh, 18 houses, a uh, house, house of safeties um, that Unilever um, that started up, uh, they've handed them over to us, and that's Tokomala. So these houses are designed for as transition houses. So for people that are going to university that lose connection connection with the village a little bit, but they're too old to come back into the village because of what we're doing there with the kids and that, they need sort of like teenage homes and things like that. And I think. That's really where Sarah and I will probably head is to work with um, the transition um, people that are in between university and uh, leaving the village. Awesome. So how, uh, I mean, you've lived a fairly rich, full life, Sanji. Um, you know, how are you feeling now, doing what you're doing now, compared to, you know, why don't you tell them a little bit about Sarah's career, the business that you had beforehand, that you've laid all that down to go and do what you're doing and just how how that has felt for you? Well, it wasn't actually that easy. So um, 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, um, I had an experience where I did a um, missionary trip with um, Habitat for Humanity and um, we ended up going out to the outer island called Rumbi where um, these people called Ocean Island people live and there's probably only about 250 of them in the world. And um, so it was, it's like a taboo. You don't talk about this island because of things that have happened there. So um, basically the Crown moved these people off their homeland um, and moved them down to Rambi and uh, bought the island off the Fijians for like $80,000. And so the Fijians don't really mix with them and the Ocean Island people don't. But anyway, the hurricanes hit there and... Um, uh, for some reason, I decided to um, to go with Habitat for Humanity over there and took a group of people with us. And um, so we built the fastest two houses in Habitat Fiji history there with 15-year-olds with and 16-year-olds. <laughs> so it was pretty crazy. But I could, when we were there, um, uh, the elders were sort of looking at us funny and I'm like, man, what are we doing wrong? You know, like something there's something more going on here. And... Um, so I went up to them and said, hey, what's the problem, you know? Like, well, have we done something wrong, you know? And um, that night, uh, 
they bought a TV. A TV appeared with a generator. And I was like, oh, <laughs> what's this all about? So um, they showed us a documentary of um, uh, a 60 Minutes um, documentary, and it had all the elders on there, and it shared the story of how they were um, uh, taken off their homeland island and brought over here, and that it was a New Zealander that um, a missionary that came to the island and sampled the, the land for sulphur, and um, so they were annoyed at New Zealanders, and we were the first New Zealanders that were um, had sort of come in contact with these people since since that time. So it's crazy things happen, eh, you know, <laughs> and I'm a South Auckland boy, these things don't happen to us, you know. So um, uh, I remember when we left, um, this guy gave me this plaque, and I'm like, what am I going to do with that plaque? You know, because it was like a gravestone plaque. It was like, he spent a bit of money. He said, I really feel like that you're supposed to have this plaque. And um, it had amazing grace on it. And um, so anyway, this plaque came very relevant, like, in these conversations. So I was able to have, we were able to have a ceremony to ask for forgiveness on behalf of New Zealand. Um, and um, our part that we paid with destroying their land. And um, we got to lay this plaque down. So... I had this amazing experience where I just was like, oh my gosh, you know, God's so much bigger than I ever, 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 ever knew. And I, you know, um, I did church, you know, um, but it it didn't go from the head down to the heart, you know, like um, in my early life, you know. So to have this experience where, you know, I just could see God in such a bigger way than just, you know, day-to-day living and what he could do and things like that. So it was pretty amazing. But when I got back to New Zealand, I got recognised from the UN for doing it. So um, they, I was like UN Volunteer of the Year or something. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. It was, it was, so that started the process for you oh to start gosh, to think about what it was that God wanted to do with your life. And it was hard because I had this experience, but Siri didn't have that experience. So... um. We made a, a pact that, you know, in 10 years' time that we would, whatever we were doing, that we would quit whatever we are doing and would go and do a YWAM course. And um, that course radically changed our life again. So, um, uh, and it just made it more about what our purpose was. And, you know, because we had made money and I built houses and I've done all of that sort of stuff and keeping up with the Joneses or whatever, you know what I mean? Like... You know, so, um, uh, but it just meant nothing to me about, you know, especially what I had come through through my younger years. And, um, yeah, so we just gave it all up. Yeah. So you had, you had your own building company. Yeah. And Sarah was the... Head of marketing. Head of marketing for Tower Insurance for New Zealand. Yeah. And you gave all of that up and yeah. went onto the mission field. So let me ask you one question. Do you regret any of that? Hell no. So living your purpose is just so much greater than anything you have prior. Absolutely. I mean, you know, um, part of being on the orphanage is just a part of healing for myself as well with the background that I grew up with. Um, so being able to have the insight and being able to walk with some of those kids and being able to know where it's at, you know. So. Some people here might think, man, I can't really do what it is that God's asking me to do because of my past disqualifies me from being able to live out this purpose. And if you don't mind, well, we already talked about this, but your 
your childhood was pretty rough, yeah? Yeah, it was pretty rough. So um, I was a refugee um, when I came to New Zealand. Um, so I was born in Fiji and my parents um, uh, had me out of wedlock, you know, and, so, and my mother could have had an abortion, but um, her older sister, you know, basically told her off and they basically uh, had me in the slums uh, in Fiji where... Um, not far from Arapali. Oh, he's actually been there. So um, uh, so they hid me there, and um, I came to New Zealand on a refugee status, and I lived with my mum for um, the first three years of my life, and then I was put into social welfare, and then I was adopted when I was about seven years old. And adopted and brought across the NZ, yeah? Yeah, so my adoption wasn't a great adoption. My dad was the first uh, Presbyterian minister to get charged with sexual um, abuse against young boys. So, um, uh, you know, home wasn't a safe place. So for those of you that think that your past uh, eliminates them from being able to do what God has called them to do, uh, what would you say if they think that their past will stop them from doing it? It qualifies you. You So whatever you get breakthrough through, um, that then qualifies you to better talk that into other people's lives. So um, it doesn't matter what you've done. <laughs> well, you know, uh, God will redeem it and um, he'll use it to turn it to good. I'm just, um, I mean, I spent one week with you over in, in, in Durban uh, this year and um, you keep on telling me I need to come back for longer. Um, and you know, just the, yeah, they've given up, you guys have given up so much really. I mean, the thing is, is that they've taken their boys out of school in here in New Zealand, taken them to South Africa. You're back here currently working at the moment to earn some more money to pay for your boys' fees to get into school. Um, you know, because this, the, the public schooling in South Africa is not, not too flash. Especially in the area we live, you know. Yeah. So. And so uh, huge, huge sacrifices that have been made a, a past that most people would say eliminates you, yet God has using you both incredibly well and you live in this environment 24-7 where you get no break, you can't escape people and I know you're, you're like the person that likes to get away on your own for a little bit and you constantly got people harassing you, you constantly got the local community trying to break in and steal stuff and that and just the work that they're doing there is just absolutely phenomenal. And, and as I was there in South Africa watching what they were doing, I was thinking to myself, why, why would they do this? You know, like, I kind of know, but why would they do this? And, and the thing that I heard you and Sarah say on a regular basis was, we're living our purpose now. Do you want to kind of explain what you mean by that a little bit? to these guys. I know it's putting you on the spot, but this is my last question. <laughs> uh, living my, our purpose, like, I think the journey that we went through, you know, we had to go through that journey to get to where we were, but, um, and and also equip ourselves for that, you know, and I just think, like, you know, Jesus, you know, he was in his, what, 30s, you know, he had, before he went into his ministry time and stuff like that, so... Um, we had to work through certain things and um, gain skills that, you know, that we can do our purpose. So um, 
you know, we couldn't have done what we're doing now 10 years earlier, etc. So it had to be God's timing. So, but yeah, I mean, the fulfillment of knowing, I mean, I just, materialistic things now don't mean anything to me, you know, like, you know, it's about saving souls, you know, and, um, and if you can help change, you know, a hundred people's lives in South Africa that then can influence that country, and that country is one crazy country, you know, um, but I love it, <laughs> but it's, um, uh, you know, then we're doing something about changing the future for that country. So you're loving life now compared to before you were living. It's tough, but I'm loving it, you know. Yeah. yeah. Hey, can I encourage you, if, if you don't know Sanjeet, that you get an opportunity to talk to him while he's home. Uh, you know, and the other thing too is if you, we as a church financially support them, but it's not enough. And so if there's anybody here that's like, man, I wouldn't mind helping or contributing it might only be $20 a week, but it makes all the difference in the world to them, then I encourage you to talk to Sanjeet while he's here and uh, get that set up. Um, and we're just, I'm just going to pray for him, and then we're going to um, let him grab a seat and get out of the limelight. He doesn't really like the stage limelight, do you? <laughs> eh? So why don't we just stretch out our hands towards him for a moment. Father, we thank you so much, God, for the great work that they are doing. Well, Lord, we thank you for the incredible testimony that in spite of a past that, that, you know, unless God got hold of his life, he's told me before he'd probably be in prison, but God, you had a purpose and all that he went through, and now he's living out that purpose. And so, Father, I pray that you would be with him and Sarah incredibly. Bless them financially. Bless them in their marriage. Bless them in their family. Let their influence and their impact just increase all the time. And, Lord, let the, let the uh, peace of God that surpasses all understanding be the guard of their hearts. Lord, that they won't get frustrated or, or, or the difficult things that they're facing. But, God, they just always have that attitude, which I know they have for the joy set before them, that they can see transform lives and change lives, and that is what propels them. And so, Father, we just release your blessing, your goodness, your grace, and your mercy and favor upon them in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Awesome, dude. No worries. I encourage you to get in behind them um, if you can, and have a chat to Sanji. It's such a a uh, great thing that they're doing over there. We, we're going to plan um, to take a team to South Africa to work in the village. And so you better start saving now. How many people want to come? All right, I'm going to remember every single one of you. I, I just want to finish off this morning just sharing a little bit of something that will help you understand. Because the whole thing about this morning is living a life of purpose. And as you heard from Sanjeet, you know, there, there was a past that could have excused him from doing what it is that God called him to do. A successful business doing incredibly well. You know, what, what drives a person to give up all of that success to take their kids and take them to another country, to a different education system, to all those things, and then rely on God 100% to fund and to feed them and to look after them? And, and, and the thing is this, it's only one thing that gets somebody to do that, and that is a life of purpose. Somebody who's living a life of purpose. There's this scripture in Hebrews that I just want to share briefly with you. This Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24, and it's about Moses, and it says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused. Everybody say refused. 
to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of the Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. I think there are three things in this scripture that Moses did that we need to be able to do if we're going to live a life of purpose. The first one it says is that he refused. It says here that he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I think the greatest thing that we've got to do is we've got to be refused to be known as anything other than who we are. There are too many people in our world today that aren't being who they are, they're being who people want them to be. And here's the thing about a copy of somebody else, the copy is never as good as the original. God has created you uniquely and individually with gifts and abilities and attributes that he, he has put on the inside of you so that you can live this life of purpose that he designed for you. And the worst thing that you could ever do is try and be like everybody else. The worst thing that could ever happen in this church is that everybody becomes like me. It'll be the worst thing that ever happened. Some of you are laughing. The rest of you are being nice to me. That's great. Because here's the thing. When we don't live who we are and we try to be who others want us to be or or be like other people, then we're not transforming, we're conforming. You see, when we, when we try to be like others rather than be who God created us to be, then we are conforming to what everybody else is doing rather than transforming into the purposeful life that God has for each and every one of us. The second thing is, is that after he refused, it says that he chose. He said he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short, short time. I think the ability to choose to be mistreated because you're pursuing your purpose or the God purpose that God has for your life, I believe it's a sign of maturity. It's a sign of maturity when you get to the point where where you choose that, yeah, I know these people are going to react badly. or And, and I know with Sanjeet, because I, I deal, dealt with some of the uh, contractors that he dealt with, electricians and different ones like that when we did the renovation of the building. And I can remember some of them, non-Christian contractors, saying to me, I don't know what's going on in that guy's head. <laughs> like, why would he do this? What's wrong with him? He's got a successful business. Why would he Why would he end that and pick up his kids and drag them across the other side of the world? Like, they couldn't understand what he was doing. And some of them may have been critical at times. I'm sure there, are, there were family members. I know, I know there has been family members that have struggled with what they're doing. But the thing is, is that, is that they refused to be anything but what God had called them to be, which allowed them to choose the mistreatment. You see, if you don't refuse to be anything other than what God's called you to be, then you won't be able to true, choose the mistreatment. Because when we, when we try to be what others want us to be, when the mistreatment comes, we will conform and shrink back. We will conform and shrink back because we'll avoid the mistreatment. If you, haven't, if you haven't refused first, you'll never be able to choose. If you don't refuse first, the mistreatment will cause you to conform to become the person that they want you to be. You, you cannot live off other people's spiritual commitment. I, I can remember growing up, and I grew up in a Christian home, and at 14 years of age, I realized something, that I was living on the coattails of my parents' spiritual walk. 
At 16, I completely went off the rails for a couple of years. Why? Because I was living my Christianity via somebody else. There, there has, and, and when the pressure comes on, when, when you're living it via somebody else, when the pressure comes on, you, I, I caved, I conformed, I fitted in rather than standing out the way that God had created me to be. And, and the thing is, is I can remember blaming um, the church. I can remember blaming people in the church that were mean to my parents for why I was where I was in life. But you can't blame others for the direction of your life. You choose that direction. You choose where you go. And if, and if we can't, if we can't get to grips with the whole idea that we've got to refuse to be anything other than what God has called us to be, then you won't be able to choose the mistreatment that sometimes come understanding that that there is a greater reward on the other side of that. There's no way that Sarah and Sanjeet would be able to do what they're doing today in South Africa if they hadn't made a choice to choose some of the stuff. That, and, and they've gone through some incredibly tough things. You, when you're living in an environment 24-7 with trauma kids, 197 of them, come on, Here's even parents in this place that understand what I'm talking about. Kids that have seen their parents shot dead in front of them. They've seen them die of AIDS, that have been raped, that have been used as spiritual sacrifices. We're not talking about trauma because they broke a fingernail. We're talking about absolute trauma. When you are in that environment, there are a huge amount of challenges. But, and sometimes the kids are... <laughs> And not exactly, they don't, they, don't, they don't turn around. This is the thing you've got to understand. Kids are the same all over the world. And even though these kids are getting three square meals a day and a roof over their heads and clothes on their back and being loved by people, they don't turn around and go, oh man, I'm so blessed to be here. Come on. Because they've got trauma in their lives and stuff in their lives, they have a victim mindset. And so they're constantly reacting rather than responding and so, you know, it's tough stuff and there's mistreatment that comes from these very kids that they've sacrificed to give their lives to. But the thing is, is because they know what their purpose is, it's, it's not hard to choose the choice of the mistreatment because they've got purpose to their world. The third thing is, is that he re regarded, it says here that he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. You know what he discovered? Moses discovered and Sanjit has discovered this, that God's purpose is more valuable than popularity. That God's purpose is more important than being popular with people. That he realized that people are more valuable than pleasures. That people are more valuable, the purpose that God had for his life was more valuable than anything that he could have. He realized that God's peace is more important than the possessions that he maintains and even though that things are tough and even though uh Sarah and Sanjit have gone through some difficult things the, the reality is you heard him this morning he is happier now than he's ever been why because he's living God's purpose and when you're living God's purpose everything starts to come into alignment because when you start by refusing to be anything but what God's called you to be and then when you start choosing his ways over others' ways, then all of a sudden your values start to come into alignment with God's values. And then you can start to regard that the greater are the treasures of heaven than anything I could ever experience in this lifetime. And then the last thing I want to say to you this morning is, is that you never take your eyes off the goal. 
Hebrews 11.27, it says, By faith he, that is Moses, left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. And I think if you sat down with Sanjeet over coffee or Sarah at any stage, they would say to you, that the reason why they're able to go through all of this stuff, the reason why they're able to refuse, the reason why they're able to choose, and the reason why they're able to regard the things of the kingdom as more important is because their eyes are fixed on Jesus. They're fixed on him and the author and the finisher of our faith. They're fixed on what God is doing. They're fixed on what he says and what he's trying to accomplish. And they understand this, that that our life on this earth, the Bible said, is like a vapor. It's like a, a drop in the bucket. It, it's so small. Yet the crazy thing is, is if, if this, is, if this whole stage was your life light, including your eternity, the, the years that you live here on earth is about this much. But what you do in this much has an effect on the eternity. Come on. Are you hearing me? And so what God says is if you live You've got to live your life on purpose in this part here while you're here on earth. So it sets you up for the eternity that I have for you. That when you live by purpose, you see, Sanjeet's not fixing his eyes on what house he can have here. And I don't even think he's fixing his eyes on what house he can have up there. But the Bible says this, that everything we do is tested by fire. And the wood and the hay and the stubble is all burnt away. And all that's left is the precious stones. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't have a nice house and I'm not saying that you shouldn't have a nice car and have nice family holidays and all that sort of stuff. God's not against any of that. It's just if you're doing that without living your purpose, at some stage, at some stage that would dissatisfy you. Because what God has called you to do is the only thing that ever really matters. In Matthew 6.33 it says, a great scripture, famous scripture, that you've heard time and time again, it says this, but seek first. But seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What does that mean? It means being right standing with him. His righteousness. The Bible says that if we have found Christ, that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things, what are, what are all these things? All these things that, that, that you desire, all these things that you want for your life and for your family, all these things shall be added to you. Seek first. Seek first. Live your life on purpose. That's really what it's saying. Live your life on purpose. Seek his purpose for your life first. And his righteousness, a relationship with him. And all these things shall be added to you. All these things shall be added to you. All these things shall be added to you. You know, when I was there with Sarah and Sanjeet, the thing that I saw the most is that, is that they may have given up a whole heap of things, but I'm sitting there, I think it was our last night, we're having a braai for all those South Africans in the building, Sanjeet has become a braai master. Eh? Who says you can't teach an old dog new tricks? Eh? I say that nicely. And we're sitting there, and, and Sanjeet's cooked a braai, 
And it's, you know, like real, real sausage, not mad butcher sausage. And uh, chicken and all sorts of stuff. And, and sitting there, they invited a couple of the young boys. Well, young, what would they be, 18? Justin and Brian? 18 years of age. Come from horrendous backgrounds, come from trouble. And they're sitting there at the dinner table. And they're laughing. And they're smiling. And there's a glow on their face. And then they're telling me about how much they love coming up to Sarah and Sanjit's house and hanging out with them. And the cool thing was, you know, we won't talk about the World Cup, but the cool thing was is when we went to visit them, uh, Chantal came with me and she gave them All Blacks cookies, eh? And when you watch the All Blacks South Africa game earlier in the year when we beat South Africa, um, Sanjit handed out the All Blacks cookies to all the South Africans to just help them get over there to more. But as I'm sitting there at the table with Brian and Justin and I'm just seeing and I'm asking them, what, what, is, it, what is it that you plan to do once you leave here? And they've got plans of, of things that they want to do with their lives and a career that they want. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, these poor kids when they first came into this village had no dreams at all of any future. No dreams at all of what God could do with them. No, no, there was no future and hope. This one thing that I came away from South Africa with, especially in the area that we're in, and look, there's no future in hope. They can't see a future of hope. But here is Sarah and Sanji living their life on purpose that through them God is bringing future and hope to a generation that others would write off because of purpose. And I, I tell you now, that the riches in heaven for them is far greater than anything he would have ever built in his business. Now I'm not saying that you shouldn't build your business. You should build your business, but you should build your business with a purpose. And the purpose should always be the kingdom. Because there's no greater cause. There's no greater cause than the kingdom of God. And I just felt like this week, as God was stirring in my heart, it's like it's time for us to start living a life of purpose, of start living our lives on purpose for the kingdom. Some of you here might end up on the mission field like Sarah and Sanjeev. Some of you here might end up pastoring a church like me and Trinity. Some of you here might end up owning and running a business like John and Debbie Tana. Some of you might end up doing all sorts of things. You might be a mechanic, you might be a builder, you might be an, you know, even God loves electricians as well. I say that for Tyler this morning. But whatever it is, there's purpose in what you're doing. There is a purpose in what you're doing. And so often we, we look at our lives and we think, my past, well, I can't do it because of that. Or I could never give up this for that to happen. And I want you to understand this morning that, that you've seen in the flesh what can happen with somebody who lives a life on purpose that's starting to have an impact not just in 197 children, but they're starting to be villages popping up all over South Africa. And, and, and in time, there's probably going to be a 1,000 kids from traumatic backgrounds written off. When I was there, he showed me the new facility that they've built for cerebral palsy kids they just get dumped on the side of the road and left to die, but they've taken them in to the village and purpose-built a thing for Why? Because every life matters. 
And when you live a life of purpose, all of a sudden, all the things that we care about just diminish in the eyes of the kingdom. We live in a community that needs Jesus more than it's ever needed before. We live in a country that needs Jesus. We live in a world that needs Jesus. And the thing is, I don't know why God does this, but God has decided that the best vehicle for the world to be reached is through you and through me. He could just rock up in a moment and turn the whole world to him if he wanted to. But he decided the best thing that he could do is find a refugee boy adopted into a family that suffered all sorts of trauma and said, hey, that's my Moses. That's my Moses. You know there's a Moses in every single one of us. And I think God wants to call that forth in people's lives this morning to start and say, you know what, God, I want to I start to live my life on purpose. Why don't we all stand to our feet this morning?